Welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, podcast for SeedSing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is the most noble of person who feeds the world, and that's Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. I'm doing good. I actually did I did a good deed picking up your mother-in-law at the airport, and a lady dropped her money, and instead of pocketing it, I gave her money back to her, so I did do a good deed. Well, now I'm going to talk to you for an hour about how stupid you are. Why? more than willing to help out your mother-in-law <laughs> needed a ride home and i live right by her so why would i not pick I, that's up? not what i'm talking about i'm saying you oh, got giving the money you got free money <laughs> it was like 20 bucks i could use 20 bucks oh well i wasn't gonna take that person's money you know, they probably needed it more than i did money can buy goods and services that's what homer's brain tells him <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> all right ty to to bring this way the hell down i want to talk to you about the ethiopian famine of the 1980s Wonderful. Just what I want to talk about. It is a famine that affected close to 7 million people and killed upwards of 2 million of those people. That's so good. There is a lot. I, I Again, this is not a podcast about the Ethiopian famine, but I do have to explain. Now, by the nature of Ethiopia, it had gone through famines in the late 1800s. It had lost almost half of its, it was like a third of its population due to a famine. The country... If For those of you that don't know, Ethiopia is over on the eastern coast of Africa. Its economy is very agrarian-based. Most of its exports are food. So when you have these famines, it is catastrophic. And then you put on top of it colonialism and whatever countries, I think maybe Italy or somebody had it, was just taking everything out of the country. And then post-colonialism... You have people who come to like strong men that take over the country and mm. basically it's a dictatorship and it's, it's a terrible situation. So in the early 1980s, there was record low rainfall for like multiple years. And so mm. you're not going to grow any crops and a massive famine broke out. And at the time, the people in charge of the government were basically taking everything out of the north that they could and just letting people starve and die. And a war broke out, and it was terrible. It was just, again, you lost close to two and a half million people because of this. And as a matter of fact, they think close to half a million children were orphaned due to this Ugh. entire thing. So Horrible. awful. Just awful. Yeah. People are like, I mean, you saw this on the news. People are talking about it. And in, in Britain, in October of 1984, Bob Geldof, the lead man, lead front man of a of a band that probably nobody really knows today, the Boomtown Rats, the only... Yeah, didn't they have a famous song? They had one, the Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays. And okay, I'm going to tell you, I did a lot of research into this and realized a lot of these people I'm going to talk about are very litigious. So I am not going to play any of their music because... <laughs> okay. <laughs> which means you're going to... We gonna, can't afford it, dude. <laughs> you're going to get to hear me sing a lot of this music. Oh, even better. You're, you're welcome, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is RD. I wanted to cut in to not really make a correction here, but to tell you guys that Bob Geldof was also known as playing Pink in the movie version of Pink Floyd's The Wall. So he was the main character in that movie, which is where a lot of people, including myself at the time, would have probably remembered him from. I forgot to mention that to Ty during the podcast, so I wanted to say that now as I hear you guys telling me, but he was Pink in The Wall. So yes, Bob Geldof did play Pink, so he was a little bit more well-known than just being the Boomtown Rats. Now let's get back to the conversation. Bob Geldof was watching some BBC show in October of 1984 and got really, really upset. And then his, his I don't think it was his wife, but his partner, she mm. was like a TV anchor or something like that. 
and she was doing an unrelated story and a guy, a, a musician who'd been in a bunch of bands. He'd been in Thin Lizzy at the time. I think he was in the British new wave band Ultravox, James Urie. Now, from here on out, James is going to be is going to be referred to as Midge. OK, now that's a name. He, yes, that's a name he gave himself. What that name means is it's the phonetic. It's the phonetical sounding of the word Jim, but backwards. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so Bob Geldof told him, hey, did you see this thing on BBC about the Ethiopian famine? And Midge was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. And Geldof's like, we should do something about this. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, we should. He's like, let's do a charity song and let's get all the biggest British singers. And we're going to all get in the room. And I want it to be a Christmas song. Now, Ty, this is October of 1984. So we okay. are two months away from Christmas. Yeah. Not a lot of time to get people together and record it, write and record a song. Yeah. Midge or uh, Bob Geldof uh, found an old Boomtown Rat song and he just kind of changed it a little bit. And then Midge put together this like backing track and Geldof was like, that sounds like a kid's cartoon show. I don't like that at all. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. And in his like memoirs that came out maybe 10 years ago, Midge Urie was like, Bob Geldof was impossible to work with. <laughs> okay. Oh, he was just okay. constantly constantly doing something but he was very uh, to be fair to him he was very passionate about this project mm -hmm. and in that now i'm gonna go through some of the names that he got together to do this all right okay now i'm, I'm taking this from wikipedia and it is in i believe it's uh it's not alphabetical order i think it's just listed on the sleeve of the record for the song do they know it's christmas and i'll get into the actual writing of that song in the moment, but I want to give you a flavor of who is on this record, okay? Okay, yep. Now, the first person listed is Robert Cool Bell from Cool of the Game. Okay. They're not British. That's not a British band. No, that's a American <laughs> hip-hop band, yeah. or American funk R&B, yeah, 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 funk yeah. R&B, yeah. So, but they were on Geldof's record label, so that's why they're there. Okay. Bono, very early Bono. Another guy from the Boomtown Rats, Pete Briquette. Adam Clayton from U2, Phil mm. Collins, Chris Cross from Ultravox. I'm not going to read them all because it's a lot. But yeah. there's Bob Geldof, Boy George. Now, with Boy George, Geldof recorded all this in one day. And I'm going to get to that story. But he called Boy George, who was on tour in New York City and, been, and had been uh, partying all night, and told him to get on the Concorde, which is a supersonic jet that would get him to London in a few hours to get on the Concorde first thing in the morning. And boy, George is like, screw you. I'm hung over. And I just got done. And so Geloff called him again in the like mid afternoon saying, get on the damn plane now. And so boy, George got on the plane. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Simon Laban from Duran Duran. There is an artist named Marilyn. It was this androgynous David Bowie type artist okay. who had a couple of big British songs, but was falling out of the public eye. Well, Marilyn just showed up, wasn't invited, just showed up because felt like this was a chance for him to be talked about again. But Geldof let him in. George Michael from Wham, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, Sting, who was with the police at the time, Andy Taylor and John Taylor and Roger Taylor. So all of Duran Duran was there. Jody Watley and uh, Paul Young. And then they weren't able to record on the song, but they sent some messages that was on the B-side was uh, David Bowie, Paul McCartney, a couple of other people, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, stuff like that. Okay. So at the time... Pretty, pretty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
and pretty I pretty solid lineup. Right. I named maybe half of the people on here. Yeah. Okay. Cause again, a lot of these are people I don't even know, but they were big, big deal for British pop music at the time. Mm-hmm. Geldof had his lyrics, had his singers, did not share the song with any of these singers. And these are pretty big people. Okay. Yeah. And brought them all in. And leading up to this recording, Geldof started to really promote the hell out of this. And he would go on talk shows and he'd have a shirt on all the time that says, feed the world. And he was really mad that the British, like he wanted to sell this thing at cost. And all of the money raised was going to go to the Ethiopian famine fund. He would get on these talk shows and talk about how the British government was not going to drop the sales tax on this. So Mm. he called out Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and the royal family and caused a big hubbub that the British government finally decided to donate all the tax proceeds to the to the Ethiopian fund. Okay. Now he gets all of these musicians and he tells all the press about it and he gets them all to the studio and they all get in there and he starts feeding them lines and Phil Collins comes in with his whole drum kit. And I think John Taylor from Duran Duran. Those are the only two live music on there, but everybody starts getting their lines. Now, are you familiar? You're familiar with this song, yes? Yeah, I'm familiar with the song and I know the album artwork or whatever because our mom, our dad, or both, probably our mom bought the... I remember her buying the CD and there was a bunch of other songs on it from what I can recall. Now this, I could be conflating things, but I remember vividly like the music video that they shot and Bono with his sunglasses on seeming like he was really into singing this song, but I am aware of, do they know it's Christmas? I'm going to get into how pandering and semi-racist this song is in a moment. But again, this was very early Bono. All right. This was not, the Bono we all know and love so well today. The song starts up and then it kicks into high gear when Bono screeches out the thank God tonight it's them and not you or some crap like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I always tell people that is the moment that insufferable Bono was born. That was the moment oh, okay. that it happened. <laughs> the funny thing about that though is Bono hated that line. <laughs> oh, really? Was, no way I want to sing this line. And Geldof's like, you're singing the damn line. I don't care. So okay. it's weird. It's because I bring that up because they've redone this song a few more times. And Bono has come back to do just that one line. So again, it's oh. kind of become his image Good thing. Yeah. yeah. But they all night. And supposedly there was a lot of drugs and alcohol involved with a lot of this too, but they recorded sure. all night. And then they, at the, at the end of it, they recorded the original album only had this song on the A side and on the B okay. side, it had a, a lot of these musicians that could not make it like saying feed the world and all this other stuff. That's what it was. And the very beginning of the B side is Bob Geldof saying it's 8am. We've been up all night. I think it's time to go home and feed the world. Some crap like that. The whole thing was recorded late November. So again, just a month after Bob Geldof saw this thing. Yeah. And on Monday. A month before Christmas. Yep, too. Yeah, a month on Monday, Monday, December 3rd, 1984. It came out. The records themselves originally then came out on the 7th. But the first playing of the song was on December 3rd. And it was immediately a hit in Britain. And I believe it, it was number one the moment it came out. And for like the next five weeks, it sold. 2 million copies in the first 11 days. That was a record at the time of the number of records sold in that period of time. And huge, 
just huge hit. It mm-hmm. made the news. Everybody talked about it. It was never number one in the United States, though, because the United really? States didn't play it quite as often. Huh. But, but everybody I knew had this yes. record or CD or Yes, tape. they did. And they also, in you were talking about 1984, so we're talking about the early days of MTV when they would show these things called music videos. Yeah. They Remember that? <laughs> they didn't really have time to even pull a music video together. But Bob Geldof it really understood that kind of visual media. So he had the recording sessions taped and had to just cut together into a music video. So yeah. the music video is literally all these huge British musicians. And like I said, Duran Duran at the time, a Spandau Ballet, I believe somebody had somebody on there. These people are being heavy, heavy rotation on MTV. You just see them. It's a, and I know this video well. I can see it in my head that they're just going in and doing the, just standing there singing it. And they all look very earnest and they care. And isn't it in a, like a recording yeah, session, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. It hit the ground running. And to be completely fair, it raised, I think, close to the equivalence of about $15 million for relief. And that money went to the Ethiopian famine. Good. So uh, at least at least at least there's that yeah. from this song. But let's talk about why this song is problematic. Yeah, so mm. I I know very little about the lyrics and basically all I know is do they know it's Christmas and like you said I didn't know what Bono said but I I've seen the video enough to know that he's yell singing something. But yeah, I I couldn't tell you one other word besides do they know it's Christmas. Do they say feed the world in the chorus or something? Yes, they do and I'm going to talk okay. about that in a moment here, okay? <laughs> all right. So uh <laughs> A few few things about it. I'm going to try to not sing quite as much here, but uh, oh come on, man! The <laughs> world wants to hear your voice. the The lyrics and it starts off very kind of somber, but it's it's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. It's Christmas time. We let in light. We banish shade. Fine, great. I think yeah. that works really well. And then in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. But say a prayer, pray for the other ones at Christmas time. It's hard, but it's hard to know, but uh, it's hard, but you're having fun. Okay. This is where it starts to fall into a a problem. Okay. Yeah. This it idea, sounds and it, cloyingly sweet and stuff. Yeah. And mind you, this is, this is Britain. Okay. You're just a generation away from being a, a colonizing power, especially in Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it says there's a world outside your window. It's a world of dread and fear where the only water flowing is the bitter stain of tears. Oh, that's that's (laughs) no good. That's (laughs) that's a rough lyric right there. And the Christmas bells that ring, they are the cleaning chines of doom. Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. I mean, (laughs) tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. So I understand what Bob Geldof was trying to get at. was like, you should feel bad because you don't, you're not in this famine or whatever, but coming out of Bono's voice, that just sounds so like, like they're jamming it in the Ethiopian space that they're in a famine right now. Now, this is definitely, this song definitely has a view of Africa, not Ethiopia, Africa as some backwater savage area. Yeah. Because they don't say Ethiopia ever in the song. Everything is Africa. As a matter of fact, there's one part that says there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. Okay, I want a few things I want to address with that. First off, again, Africa is a continent. You and I talked about this yesterday <laughs> yes. when, when you called me to tell me what we were recording yes. about today. 
It is made up of multiple countries. Is um, it the biggest continent? Uh, Asia, I think, is still Asia, or Antarctica right, yeah. actually technically is, but uh, oh, okay. But no, it's it is very large. It's got a lot of different land masses in it, which mm-hmm. a lot of it gets snow. There's multiple religions. I, as a matter of fact, I don't believe Christianity is the primary religion in on the African continent. So they probably don't really care. It's Christmas time at all. <laughs> yeah, they could care less. <laughs> but now again, this song goes from the noble savage, the British looking down on them. And then it turns right back into how great it is with the British, because mm-hmm. it says here where nothing ever grows, no rain, no rivers flow. Now that is true in Ethiopia during the famine. But again, Africa's a big freaking country. Mm-hmm. Here's to you. Raise a glass for everyone. Spare a thought this you tied for the deprived. If the table was turned, would you survive? This is definitely them saying, Oh yeah, we're we're great. We're yeah, we're, doing we're good. We got no problems. The bummer you guys are in a famine, but we're okay <laughs> over here in, in the UK. You ain't got to feel guilt, just selfless. Give a little help to the helpless. They're not. <laughs> a famine is a horrible, horrible thing. I wouldn't say everybody who lived there was helpless. I understand what you what you told me at the top of this is horrendous. It's a horrific tragedy mm-hmm. that happened in Ethiopia, but. The fact that they don't mention Ethiopia. So if if I were listening to this song when it came out, I'd be like, oh, man, that's a bummer what happened in Africa. That's Mm -hmm. all I'd be thinking about right now. And then it goes into Feed the World, the whole chorus. Uh Okay, yeah. Which for probably until maybe five years ago, I kept thinking they were saying, we know, oh, oh, (laughs) do they know it's Christmas time? (laughs) That's the other thing I was going to say with the Feed the World, do they know it's Christmas time? Again, you said that Christianity is not one of the main religions over there. So, and maybe they do celebrate, but I don't, but they probably don't know it's Christmas time because they probably don't care that it's Christmas. Time. No, we have like the UK and the U S has bastardized Christmas into like our thing, but we expect everybody to celebrate it. And like, that's just not the case. That's not how it is. Well, this is a, a very, very filthy. I mean, 1984 tie 40 years since this song came out or almost 40 years. It'll be 40. Yeah. Years I was going to say I'm 41. So. <laughs> And so you would think just the we talk about music, I mean, a lot of times or or movies or TV shows or things that just have gone out of style because they're insensitive and racist. Yeah, this has not gone out of style. This is still one of the most played Christmas songs. I said it never hit number one in the U.S. I think it actually did hit number one for a week in like 2021. So during the pandemic. Yeah. That's crazy. Yes. And like I said, they this has been redone a few times with a few <laughs> well, people. Hold on, though. My my wife loves Christmas music, and we listen to it a lot starting after Thanksgiving. I don't know that I've ever heard this on one of her playlists, though. I honestly only know it from our parents listening to it. No, it's and hey, I will admit I saw it at like half price books of vinyl, and I got it because it's like, oh, it's one I should have. And my uh, wife, dude, <laughs> my my wife makes me play it every year just so we can be like, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. But that's the thing. Like uh, again, my wife loves 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 Christmas music. She wants to play it earlier and earlier every year. I've never heard this song on her playlist before. As these things have been redone or remade, there was another version in 1989. That uh, you had Banana Rama on it, Kylie Minogue was on it. Those are just a wet, wet, wet technotronic. These are I don't know either of those two. Bands. Oh, okay, see, I <laughs> but I know Kylie Minogue and Banana Rama, obviously. And then in 2004, it was done again. Bono came back to do his line. Chris Martin from Coldplay was on it. 
trying to see anybody on here that you would recognize. Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah. I remember, oh, man. I remember him being on it. Just a quick little tangent to great documentary about Robbie Williams on Netflix right now. Go check oh, it out. Okay. And this actually, <laughs> when I talk about We Are the World, this is inspired by a Netflix documentary, what I'm talking about. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Paul McCartney played guitar on it. Tom York played piano. Johnny Greenwood played guitar. That's so funny <laughs> to me that Tom York and Johnny Greenwood are on it. That's hilarious. <laughs> Now, this is what's funny is being a British musician and the fact that they redo this every now and then, you're kind of supposed to go do We Are the World, or not We Are the World, do they know it's Christmas? Well, at the time, again, 2004, they were all, all these British artists were invited and Damon Alburn showed up. Nice. Would not say why he would not perform on the the record. For him. (laughs) But he did serve everybody tea. Hey, go for it. Like, the more I learn about him <laughs> and just like read about Damon Alburn, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite people. Yeah. I like him a lot. The latest version is from 2014 that they did it. And this time they were going to uh, raise money for the ongoing Ebola crisis. They did this time decide to change a few lyrics. All right. And and good. They brought in this time Ed Sheeran, One Direction, Ellie Goulding, Seal, Sam Smith, Sinead O'Connor. They all came on to do it. But here's where they changed some of the lyrics. I'm going to ask you, Ty, are these better? Okay. The original one, where the only water flowing is the bitter stain of tears, is replaced with where a kiss of love can kill you and there's death in every tear. No, it's the same thing. They're both cheesy, corny, cliche pop song lines. Yep. Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you, is replaced with, well, tonight we're reaching out and touching you. (laughs) I mean, creepy, but at least it's not like, oh, it's a bummer to be you. I'm going to sit down in my nice, cozy house and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Okay, this one I do agree because I've often, even though that Bono line bothers the hell out of me, the worst line I think in there is, and there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. Yeah. They replaced it with, bring peace and joy this Christmas to West Africa. Yeah, that's fine. But again, I don't know that do West Africans celebrate Christmas? Yeah, I don't don't know. I don't know that that's a thing. They, But that's much better than because, again, when you and I talked about this yesterday, you got on my case saying Mount Kilimanjaro (laughs) wasn't in Africa. And it is. And Mm -hmm. mountains get snow. Yes, they do. That's what happens. Then they have uh, the greatest gift they'll get this year is life is replaced with a song of hope where there's no hope tonight. God, that's way worse. That is. <laughs> both of those are bad, but that one, that new one is is worse. It's, it's much worse. Yeah. Where nothing ever grows, no rain or rivers flow is replaced with why is comfort to be feared? Why is to touch to be scared? That, that doesn't even make sense to me. That's a, yeah, that's gobbledygook. That's yeah. not my... My daughter's learning nonsense words in second grade. That's what that sounds like. What she brings home to me is, is not... That's nonsense words. Yeah, and then they they traded up uh, feed the world with heal the world. That's fine. Again, either one of those I think is fine because it's getting across the same message. But yeah, that's fine. All right, I am so before I end this, I'm going to talk about the absolute the the moment this song hit absolute rock bottom. Okay, for you or for everything? for for everything. This okay, this right. should have <laughs> been it, even though it's played in heavy rotation every Christmas. And it's always the original 1984 version that's played. These newer ones, I mean, I've researched this. I listened to them, and they're more updated. But there's, it's the original one that gets played the most. Okay. But on an episode of the television show Glee, when Glee was at its like height, I think this was its third season or something. Okay. 
In 2011, for a Christmas episode, the cast of Glee sings Do They Know It's Christmas. All right. They sing this song at a homeless shelter. Jeez Louise. That, okay, so... <laughs> That's where Ryan Murphy completely lost the damn script. And a lot of people, Ty, will tell you this was Glee jumping the shark. The show was nowhere well, near it. My favorite, my favorite story about Glee is that this was long before my wife and I had kids. I don't even know if we were married yet, but the, se- the series premiere that came on. And we watched it. I watched this. I'm like, oh, I like Jane Lynch. She's funny. I wonder what she'll do in this. And Jane Lynch, I thought, was great. But at the end of the episode, my wife and I said the same thing, but we couldn't have had two different reactions. Mine was, oh, my God, did you see that? And hers was, oh, my God, did you see that? So we were both (laughs) like, we said the same thing, but it was clearly she liked it. I didn't. My wife has come back to saying that that show got really bad, I think, right around season three or whatever, because I stopped after that first episode. All the stuff that's behind the scenes with Glee, the one guy's in jail now for child pornography, the Naya Riviera girl died mysteriously mm-hmm. in a lake, the main girl, the, the main boy, I believe, drug overdose died. I think the, the guy with the, the child pornography, I thought he killed himself. Oh, did he? See, yeah. I, the, the kid in the wheelchair is a able-bodied person, mm-hmm. and that main girl, by all accounts, is one of the hardest people to work with in Hollywood. Yeah, and their bottom was we are the world or not we are you know the world. I, their bottom was do they know it's christmas and what else drives me nuts about that show is that teacher guy like knows all the choreography and tries to rap and stuff he is the just a cliche of like a white privileged person mm-hmm. trying to do things that are not from his culture i oh we need to do a whole podcast about the show please, <laughs> I cross the pond as they say in the united states a powerful music producer in the u.s said like we always do, whatever the British do, we can make it worse. And I'll tell you that story in the second half, Ty. Sounds good. Hello, all. This is RD, and I want to talk to you about something called Public Forum Productions. Now, you've heard me reference it, and if you are a person that looks deep, deep into the notes, you'll see that Public Forum Productions actually is the producer of The Ex-Millennial Man, the podcast you're listening to right now. Well, 2024 is going to be a big year at PSP, and I want to invite you to become part of that. Go to publicforumproductions.com and you can see the stable of shows we have. It's a network, kind of like think of it like Netflix and Ex Millennial Man is one of the shows. We also have High Heels and Politics, First Watch, Rewatch. And coming in 2024, we already have two shows actively in production right now. One is called Where Did You Go to High School? I know a lot of our listeners are in the St. Louis area and are in Southwest Ohio because you guys know Ty or myself. And that's the biggest question. Where did you go to high school? For the record, I went to Lafayette High School in in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area. But it's a big, big deal. My son here in Southwest Ohio goes to a really well-known high school, and it kind of identifies who we are. Also, the other show we have working on is called Satan Remembers. It's a history of the 1980s satanic panic. That is where we're done planning it. We're getting ready to record, do interviews and stuff. And I, I want to really make this good. It's going to be a series that's going to go through what happened in the early 1980s and kind of the moral panic and the accusations of Satanism that destroyed a lot of people's lives, destroyed a lot of people's businesses, and all were completely unfounded. And I want to do that now because a lot of what we saw 40 years ago, we're seeing today. So I think it's very important. 
Again, go to publicforumproductions.com, reach out to me. And if you want to be a guest, if you want to do your own podcast, if you have information that can help us with these things, because like I said, those two shows are currently in production, but we have a few that are in pre-production and I'm going to really need going to really need some voices for there. So again, publicforumproductions.com and let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, I'm going to talk about Rashida Jones's father, Quincy Jones. Just had a birthday recently. Quincy or Rashida? Quincy oh, and okay. Rashida. I think they're like born, their birthdays are close. All right. Okay. Speaking of Rashida Jones, I don't know if she's still dating. What's his name from Vampire Weekend, but you never know. I was going to say, you want to come out to Cincinnati on September 20th, Vampire Weekend's playing. And I think they're playing in St. Louis around the similar oh, probably, time. Probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> no. So Quincy Jones, pretty damn well known producer of yeah. music and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's him and what Rick Rubin. Yeah, they are the two most yeah. famous. And he he'd actually discuss this with Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof was also one of the people that helped with "We Are the World" USA for Africa. But Quincy Jones was inspired by what he saw. With don't get me wrong, like all those British people that came in because Bob Geldof was kind of a big deal in the music business. Quincy Jones is like Bob Geldof is like Loki in the Avengers. Quincy mm-hmm. Jones is freaking Thanos, okay? Uh, 100%, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is. So nobody is saying no to Quincy he, Jones. He has to be the most famous producer yeah. of all time. Right. And I'll talk about a very important person who did say no and what happened. But Quincy Jones decided, you know what? We can do this. So he called up Michael Jackson and talked to him about it and then talked to Lionel Richie. And the two of them said, hey, we're going to go ahead and write this song. Now, this was in January of 1985. So weeks, just weeks. So Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie sat down and they they banged out this song. And Can you were, imagine the two of them writing together? Oh, yeah. No, no, just no. Like, and, and when Michael they talk Jackson about this to, group compared to the, the do they know it's Christmas, you're going to be blown away. Well, and that's Michael Jackson had his problems. He was an awful, awful person. What he did was awful. Dude could write a pop song. And oh, Lionel yeah. Richie, I've gone back and listened to a bunch of Commodore stuff Music slap. No, I know <laughs> great. <laughs> they were they were talking to Kenny Rogers about getting on it, but he had had some they because they wanted to record this quickly again and get it out. He had had some stuff going on, but he said, "You guys can use my studio for free." And oh, nice! And you only have Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. Quincy Jones didn't think that was enough, so he recruited Stevie Wonder to add a little bit more name value. Oh my god, a little more! I mean, <laughs> Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, and then Stevie Wonder. Like, come on, man! This is already. I'm sorry to our UK listeners. This is already a better lineup than yeah. what they had for yeah Christmas song in UK, whatever it was. You get these three together, and Quincy Jones is, again, not happy. And I'm going to go through the lineup of USA for Africa, okay? Yep. Now, the soloists, all right? Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers was able to come in and drop a line in there. Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau. Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, John Oates was playing on the okay. guitar, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Kim Carnes, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles. The only one I don't know, and you'll probably jump down my throat, is Kim Carnes. Everybody oh, no, else. No, no. Well, who is Kim Carnes? Kim Carnes, I think she did uh, Kids in America. Hello, all. This is RD again, and I made a mistake, as you know, as you probably know. Kim Carnes did. Betty Davis' eyes was her big song. Kids in America was not her big song. 
I apologize for, for that, but I did want to make that correction before we moved on. Okay, yeah, yeah. But this is just hit maker after hit maker after hit. I love that Quincy Jones gets Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, and Stevie Wonder, and he's not pleased. And he goes out and gets everybody else. Yeah, I mean, everybody. <laughs> and everybody. So the chorus, all right? I'm going to give you some of the names on the chorus. And the last okay. one, you are definitely going to be like, who or why? <laughs> Smokey Robinson, the Three Pointer Sisters. Like John Oates was on the chorus, sorry. Yeah. Bette Midler, Tito Jackson, Randy Jackson, Marlon Jackson, Latoya Jackson, a bunch of people from the news, Huey Lewis News, Bob mm-hmm. Geldof, Sheila E., Lindsey Buckingham, Harry Belafonte, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Why? I know he's like, he's always had these visions that he's a blues singer ever since doing the Blues Brothers, which is a phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. Why is he on there? Like, <laughs> He has no business being in the same room with those singers. He, Dan Aykroyd, probably a great singer. I don't know much about him. He has no business being in the same room with those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a Quincy Jones put a put a sign up on the wall that said "Check your egos at the door," and yeah. they were trying to make this tight. They were trying to get a good song out, everything like that. And I, Stevie Wonder, before they started to record said if they don't do this right, and if they are not successful with this, that he and Ray Charles are going to go drive everyone home. <laughs> I love it. I love that Stevie Wonder is able to poke fun at himself. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so there was a little bit of humor. Everybody was uh, having yeah. a good time and everything like that. They get together, again, way more professional than what yeah. Band-Aid, what Do They Know It's Christmas, did. They recorded a lot of tracks separately because they had to. Again, just the volume of people there, the the schedules that they all had and things yeah, like that. As a yeah. matter of fact, I think Stevie Wonder was doing the music for a movie at a time, so he had to do that. There are two very known people who were invited who did not do this, whereas basically Bob Geldof got whoever he wanted, but there were two yeah. people that said no to this. One was Eddie Murphy. Okay, yeah, he that's like Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Eddie Murphy is a comedic actor. He's not a singer. No. We've all heard Party all the time or whatever it's called. Eddie Murphy said, uh, At the time, he was doing party all the time. That's what he was doing. And he was like, no, no, I'm too busy with that. Years later, Eddie Murphy said, quote, realized what that song was, and now I feel like an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At least, again, at least he can look back on it and understand what he did. Yeah. The other person who was not there is Prince. Why why, why couldn't he do it? Now, nobody knows, okay? And and as a matter of fact, there was a... He could have shredded a rad solo on that too so originally prince and michael jackson were to sing together sing at each other for a part of it that would have been cool too yeah and then prince is a weird guy okay and all those people in the room he didn't want to record with all those people so he was going to do a guitar track and then he pulled out of it and to this day nobody knows why man supposedly though during the lead up to all of this stuff bob geldoff was talking about the people in there in an interview Mm -hmm. and somebody said Oh, what about Prince? And Bob Geldof called him a creep. And a lot of people think Prince was a little pissed about that. I would be, too. <laughs> Bob Geldof has no right to call him a creep. No. Even if he was a creep. No. He has no right to call him that. Prince no. is an icon. Now, this song comes out hot out of the gate. You've got Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, Tina Turner, and Billy Joel all sing the first verse. That's, and that's such an eclectic group of artists. <laughs> None of them sing the same music. No. Michael Jackson and Diana Ross sing the first chorus. I mean, this is just... (laughs) But Ty, let's let's talk about what they're singing, okay? Okay, yeah. Again, I know of the song. 
I don't know the words off the top of my head. All right, so I'm going to do my best Lionel Richie here. No, don't. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> there comes a time when we heed a certain call. Oh, the boy. world must come together as one. All right, now this is no one. You don't sound a So here, I'll do the, where's the Cindy Lauper part? There's a choice we're making. Where's She's Cindy? a much better singer than that, man. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all the lyrics of this. First off, We Are the World is not a racist, colonialist, stupid little we song. We Are the World, We Are the Children, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the... But when it came out, Okay. And again, I, I want to say this. I think they I think they said this made close to like thirty million dollars for famine relief. So it doubled what, yeah. what they made for the Christmas song. Yeah, and there was a quote from a an Ethiopian right around when Michael Jackson died. And he was saying, like this guy said, he was it had been twenty-five years since the famine. And he was he was a young man. I think lost his wife and a child during the famine. He was like in his twenties, so he's close to fifty now. And somebody asked him, and he said, "Look, I know everything that people have said about Michael Jackson and all this other stuff." He goes, "But I'm going to tell you something that the because Michael Jackson was arguably the biggest star on this entire thing, and the thing I don't think it's stuff. arguable at <laughs> all. He was the biggest star. <laughs> this guy said that the flower they would get through these relief efforts, people started to call it Michael Flower, and when, because it was better." than what they normally got. And then the bread they made of it was called Michael bread. And he said, myself and a lot of people are alive today because of USA for Africa, because of We Are mm-hmm. the World. So its impact, before I go into the stupidity, its impact was yeah. profound. All right. Yeah, you can't deny, as cheesy as the song may be in retrospect, you can't deny what it did for the people of Ethiopia, Ethiopia and Africa. Yeah, absolutely. It was released on March 7th of 1985. These songs are so like I, I can't believe how old they are. Oh yeah, and it it was it was released again instantly a hit. It was originally a a single, and then mm-hmm. I think there's a song called Grace was on the other side. There eventually was a USA for Africa album, which Prince did contribute a song to. Okay, it was screw the- you, Bob. Yellow. I don't know if you listen or if you're still alive. Prince he is way still cooler alive. than yeah. you ever were. Well, there's going to be a second part to this podcast where Geldof is going to feature very heavily. But so is somebody who I did not mention in the first half, and that is Freddie Mercury. Oh, wait, when did he die? No, he died late 80s, early 90s. What I'm going to talk about next week is he's going to feature heavily in. Okay. Now we are. I the, love Freddie Mercury too. Oh yeah. So I, I'm oh, curious yeah. what yeah what this is going to be like. <laughs> we are the world. The song became the first single since the Beatles "Let It Be" to enter the top five within its first two weeks of release. Wow! It became so. The, we are the world and let it be. Yes, that's a pretty pretty awesome list right there. Yeah. It became the best selling record of all time. The best selling single of all time. It today sits as number nine. Do you want to know the eight songs ahead of it? Yes, I do. Right ahead of it is Elvis Presley, It's Now or Never. Whitney uh, I Houston, don't like him. Whitney Houston, I Will Always like Love her. You. Bill Haley in the Comets, Rock Around the Clock. Mungo Jerry in the Summertime. Tino Rossi, Petite Papa Noel. I don't know. It's probably a Christmas yeah. song. I have no idea. Bing Crosby, Silent Night. Elton John, Candle in the Wind, 97. Oh, good song. Number one, Bing Crosby, White Christmas. That's my wife's favorite movie of all time, too, so I'm very, very aware of that song. We Are the World was 
instantly a hit instantly super super again famous. you can't get that group of people that's this is like the warriors when they signed kevin durant it's unbeatable mm-hmm. yeah it's absolutely unbeatable the 1986 grammys the ones the next year it won record of the year it won song of the year yep. it beat do they know it's christmas for music video of the year <laughs> nice i don't see i don't even know this music video i don't know what this record looks like i don't know this music video i have no memory of it at all the music again bob geldoff was very smart quincy jones is godlike smart when it comes to music yeah. he recorded everything he ended okay. up doing the video very similar to what uh, geldoff had done where just showing them in the studio when this really really hit big i was about 10 years old and i remember watching this video and being like is that dan Aykroyd?" <laughs> i can imagine our dad like making fun of it to see dan Aykroyd on there because our dad loves bob dylan you know? <laughs> yes. so like to see people that he truly appreciates and be like what the why is dan Aykroyd singing with bob dylan that would have driven him nuts i imagine now the weird thing about we are the world is do they know it's christmas when it came out was people pretty it, it got good reviews the british mm-hmm. press was pretty pretty nice to it we Are the World got very mixed reviews, though. Really? And as a matter of fact, one music journalist said it sounds like a Pepsi jingle. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. I, I don't deny that. And it is kind of got that very anodyne. It's look, it's no, matter, no matter it's how happy sweet. Yeah. No matter how dumb do they know it's Christmas or how how not dumb, just how wrong it is. Mm-hmm. At least it's like people are dying and it's doom yeah. and this is you've got to do this helpless. We are the world is all like what some of the words in here. We are the world. We oh, are dude. the children. <laughs> we are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. I mean, it is. Oh, that's not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you got you got to go blame Quincy Jones and Bob Galdoff. Otherwise, I know, I know. I'd play that. I'd play. I mean, I'd play their music. I'm afraid to get sued, though. <laughs> but yeah, but getting a getting this group of people together, you have to have some kind of pull in that industry. And clearly, these two guys did with Quincy Jones kind of like flexing his muscles to Bob Gellar with, oh, you got Bono? Let me get Michael Jackson. Oh, you got the dudes from Duran Duran? Let me get Huey Lewis on the news. Let me get Paul Simon. Like just pulling all these. Bob things. Dylan's on this record. Bob, Bob <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's on the record. <laughs> I mean, it is unreal yeah that's cindy Lauper. yeah so that's what i want to say to you mentioning all these people and we watched 30 rock a lot in this in this house and when you told me we were talking about what i thought of was the episode of 30 rock where alec baldwin jack donaghy gets his all these singers together to to sing for his his dad who needs a kidney and cindy Lauper's on there but you also have Talib Kweli and the Beastie Boys, Robert <laughs> Randolph, Alicia Keys, Adam Levine, Cheryl Crow. And like what I love about Cindy Lauper is doing this and stuff. And, you know, as they're singing, they go to people talking. I believe Ellis Costello is talking at one point where he says, we're talking in a song now. So this is how you know it's serious. <laughs> but they say stuff about people who are drunk or whatever. And Cindy Lauper says, I'm the drunk one. Like, I, <laughs> I love that episode of 30 Rock and I love that song. And to get Talib Kweli to rap with the Beastie Boys when all three of them were still alive, that blew me away, being a fan of both of those those artists, that band and that artist individually. Well, this, again, with Do They Know It's Christmas, I'm speaking of that, and We Are the World, it really kind of launched this uh, this artist like doing songs that are important type thing. Yep. Now, you already, uh, George Harrison, like 10 years earlier, had done the song Bangladesh, which was uh-huh. about the problems in Bangladesh. but 
you had, I mean, there was like a Canadian version of this, which I, somebody, somebody posted. Thinking it. ladies on it? <laughs> you know, well, I say, it they, somebody posted it and said it looks like a bad SCTV skit. It's just. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> Steven Van Zandt of the E Street Band. E Street Bruce, Band, yeah. yeah. He did a song called Sun City. There was in South Africa a place called Sun City, and this is during apartheid. And it was like, the whole song was, we're not going to play Sun City. And it was just how, <laughs> don't go play there. And there was... Why did Steve, just, why would he leave the E Street Band and go to his own solos? Well, like, here's <laughs> here's the people on this song, though. Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Run DMC, George Clinton, Grandmaster oh, Flash, Jackson man. Brown, Bono. <laughs> Excuse me for bad <laughs> yeah, like that. Maybe yeah. I need to go listen. Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis, Bonnie wow. Raitt. Pat Benatar, Johnny Ramone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Steven Van Zandt. But also, E Street Band was the best thing he ever did. Yes. I never saw The Sopranos and I never saw Lily Hammer, although I heard Lily Hammer is not very good. But E Street Band is what I know him from. There was Mick Jagger and David Bowie did a cover of Dancing in the Street, which a lot of people say is the worst cover song ever written and then or wow. ever performed. And that includes Duran Duran doing 911 as a joke in your town. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know they did <laughs> oh, that. Oh, and Flavors. Who does the Flavor Flavor? Oh, he's Flavor's on that. Okay. On that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, but they, they did that for, for uh, the Live Aid broadcast for okay. charity. There is a Dion Warwick and Friends doing That's What Friends Are For, which was, I mean, Clive Davis, I think, was the guy who spearheaded that. And it was for, like, the AIDS Foundation. There was a We're All in the Same Gang, West Coast Rap All-Stars, which, <laughs> who the hell was in this one? Let's see. It looks like KRS-One got people together. Cool Mo D, Heavy D, Public Enemy, Tone Loke, Young MC, MC Hammer, Ice-T, Dr. Dre. You know, I see Dr. Dre and KRS one, even though he's the one who got it. Those are the outliers to me. Everybody else, Heavy D, MC Hammer, stuff like that all makes sense. This became a thing. This is pulling yeah. your super group together to go out and do a big song and give the money away. I believe that last one, the rap one, was like gain violence, stop gain violence sure. type stuff. And even to the point now, I've not seen this yet, but just a few weeks ago, Netflix came out with a documentary called The Greatest Night in Pop, which is about the making of We Are the World and kind of okay. its impact. And I know Cindy Lauper and Bruce Springsteen are interviewed on that. Really? Yeah, like a couple of other people too. Much like Do They Know It's Christmas, there have been other versions in time, but the yeah. only one that everybody remembers is this one. Sure. Now, to close out, Ty, these two songs were big. And yeah. there's one common entity between these two songs. Bob Geldof? Yes. Okay. And Bob Geldof decided, you know what? Because this is very important to him. As a matter of fact, this issue got him knighted. He is Sir Bob Geldof. Well, now. and I gave him a hard time. No. What he did for Africa is a good thing. Ethiopia is, is what th doing this was good. But what Bob Geldof decided to do, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, is throw the largest concert ever known to mankind Live Aid. Okay. I believe, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I know of Live Aid. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious because I know of it. I've seen stuff about it, but I've never dug deep into it. And before, like, I'll talk about it next week, too. But we have Do They Know It's Christmas came out in December of 84. We Are the World came out in March of 85. Live Aid is going to be held on July 13th, 1985. That dude stayed working. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, he must have loved working. And that's a lot of work. When I tell you about 
the acts involved, and more specifically, maybe the 20 greatest minutes of live performance ever recorded by Freddie Mercury and Queen. Mm-hmm. Live Aid is quite the story. So that's, I'm going to bring that to you next week, Ty. Very excited about that. <laughs> but before we leave, if, uh, if Quincy or Bob Geldof needs you for his next big super group, where is he going to find yeah. you? <laughs> oh, I'm not. I can play rhythm guitar. That's about the, the breadth of my, my music knowledge. But no, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. Come read my stuff on Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. We lost a heavyweight. Richard Lewis died, you mm-hmm. know, and I wrote about that. I do pop culture sports, stuff like that. So Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com for all that info, all that stuff, all that content. You can hear me on four or five episodes of Chucklehead Chat, hosted by our buddy Glenn Adams, wherever you get podcasts. Listen to me on First Watch Rewatch. Check out our Patreon. Most importantly, though, listen to me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Great review us. Tell your friends about us. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, repeat all that. Seed saying Ex-Millennial Man. The First Watch Rewatch, the day we record this, is the yep. day before we put it out. Oh, and the new Happy ones. birthday, Seth, by the way. Oh, that's right. Happy birthday yeah. to our brother. Yeah, <laughs> our brother Seth, the one in between you and I. It's a, yeah, first watch rewatch is out. It's a second season. It got eight great movies coming. So the last Starfighter here up first. And loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert, everybody. <laughs> no, no. I loved it. Like I said, next week, come back as I talk about Live Aid and just, just how, yeah. how incredible it was and how it just has never been matched, which is weird. Yeah. But yeah, with all that being said, we thank you for your years. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows and Ty I hope you know that it's not Christmas time right now I, I'm gonna use everything I have to realize it's not Christmas time right alright talk to you next time stay fresh cheese eggs The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.